This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 170 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, I mentioned my social media handles there as usual, and you might see me on there a little more now. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, the school year's finally over. It's time to relax. It's time to regroup a little bit. Uh, I'm looking forward to the two trips that I have planned for this summer. It's time to be productive in different ways. I've got a couple projects I'm thinking about starting. You know, some of them are card related. I've got a couple books I want to read. I just want to unwind. So um, I was definitely looking forward to this time. Another thing I've been looking forward to is today's conversation with fellow Pacers collector Steve a.k.a. Vintage Pacers on Instagram. Um, You heard him on the show a year ago. I thought it was a good time to bring him back. We talk Pacers. We talk collections. We talk expectations for his very first card show. So you want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, Before I share that with you, though, I want to address a question that I saw in the blowout forums earlier this week. And it's a question I get in my inbox from time to time. I think it's a good question. So I figured it was worth spending a couple minutes on. Okay, so in this situation, someone posted a link to a LeBron James exquisite RPA that's currently being offered. I think it's on uh, Golden Auctions right now, and it's in an altered slab. And the poster posed the question, why do people buy altered cards? Which, like I said, I thought that was a good question. Um, As you guys know, a lot of altered cards have a negative stigma attached to them. Now, I think the negative feelings are more so directed at the act of altering a card and the people who alter cards. I've talked about that many times on this show. It's a big no-no in the card world, right? But what do you do once a card has been altered? There are probably some people out there that believe, you know, hey, altered cards just need to be destroyed. Well, that viewpoint sounds a little extreme to me, but I suppose I have destroyed an altered card from time to time. For example, I bought a small lot of Charles Barkley cards one time that um, it contained a forged signature on a worthless base card. So that was a no-brainer for me. I ripped it up and I threw it in the trash. Now, if it was a forged star rookie, right, or like I should say a real star rookie with a forged signature, that would have been a tougher situation for me. I'm not throwing away a star Barkley rookie. Um, You know, that's a card I want to add to my PC. So, you know, I guess if the signature's in Sharpie... Maybe it could come off with a little bit of patience. If it's ballpoint, you're out of luck. But, you know, people have differing viewpoints on that. And I'm not going to tell you where you should lie there or what you should do. But um, looking at the bigger picture, if you've got an altered card, I think it's okay to keep that card as long as the forgeries and alterations are properly documented. 
you don't want to misrepresent it, but at the same time, it allows you to own something that um, maybe you otherwise wouldn't. And I think that's the case here with this LeBron Exquisite RPA. If you want one that um, you know has seemingly been untouched, well, be ready to shell out, I don't know, a million dollars or whatever they're selling for now. If you just want to own one of the 99, regardless of condition, regardless of history, then this is a great entry point, provided it's properly labeled, which this one is. I'll give you one more example. Back in March of 2021, I was looking at George Mikan cards, and I wanted a rookie card, but I was priced out of his 48 Bowman. So he's got a couple other cards that came out that same year. Uh, they're not necessarily cheap either, but they're a lot cheaper than the 48 Bowman. So he's got a mini card that was distributed through boxes of cereal called Kellogg's Pep. And it was kind of their version of Wheaties. I think I've even talked about it in one of my mail day segments from that time period. Well, you know, those are selling anywhere from $200 to $600, at least at the time that I bought mine. So I didn't care too much about condition. And I found myself a PSA altered version for 243 shipped, which was on the lower end of that price range. So um, like I said, that was over a year ago and, and I've got no regrets about that. I'm happy with that card. I'm glad I own it. So all of that is to say, I think in some cases, there's some utility to purchasing altered cards um, that are properly labeled as such. If I can get an altered Russell rookie for a great price, you better believe I'm going to be all over that. And I know some people might say that, you know, if you buy an altered card or a knowingly altered card, then you're supporting card doctors. You know, I don't think so. The doctors aren't the ones putting them in altered slabs. They're aiming for numbers instead. They, they want those numerical grades. Um, and some have been very successful at that, I might add, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, anyway, that was a question I saw this week. I thought I would share some of my thoughts. I encourage you to weigh all the information and develop that stance on your own that way. If you run into that situation, you will have already thought about it a little bit ahead of time. Hey, guys, this is Darren on a.k.a. Deputy Dog underscore NBA cards on Instagram. I uh, just wanted to put it out there that I am always looking for Ronnie Brewer Jr. cards. Uh, I think I need 165 more to have them all. Uh, one of ones, including printing plates, or just anything rare that you might have sitting in a box that you didn't think would sell, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks, Kyle, for the opportunity. I've had the pleasure to get to know Darren a little bit over the years. He's got an amazing 50 Greatest Collection, which I suppose is now a 76 Greatest Collection, he collects Arkansas Razorbacks players, which is the main reason he collects Ronnie Brewer. And I'm sure some of you already know this, but Ronnie's dad, Ron Brewer, went there too. Uh, anyway, Darren has amassed an incredible super collection for Ronnie, comprised mainly of stuff from the mid to late 2000s. But he's probably one of those players that, you know, if someone's sitting on a printing plate or a one-on-one, they're, they're not going to bother listing it because there's this assumption that nobody would want it. Well, Darren does. So you might take another look in your miscellaneous boxes and see what you can find. I'd love to be able to help him track down at least one card from his want list. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, Go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. 
This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so joining me today is a fellow Pacers collector that you've heard from before and someone I'm excited to have back on the show. He's one of my best friends in the hobby. Some of you may know him from the blowout forums as Stevo21, or maybe you're more familiar with his Instagram handle, which is at Vintage Pacers. Steve, it's been almost an entire year since we've chatted on here. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Can't complain. Just living the family life and trying to collect cardboard. Feeling a little better after your outside adventures the other day. I think Steve said he, he might have had sun poisoning, so that didn't sound like fun at all. No, it was not enjoyable. Don't recommend. But yeah, feeling much better today. Gave you another reason, though, to uh, sit around and maybe look at eBay, look at cards. Yeah, in between naps and like just generally feeling miserable. Yeah, got on the phone a few times. All right. Well, uh, the last time you were on here, we were both on cloud nine uh, because the Pacers had just rehired Rick Carlisle as their head coach. And let me preface this by saying I love Rick. I don't think he was the problem this year, but the year as a whole was a bit of a disaster. And things got a little better toward the midway point, though, when the team traded for Tyrese Halliburton. And, um, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I think it's safe to say you and I were, were both pretty excited about that, right? You, you love the Halliburton trade? Oh, absolutely. I loved Sabonis. So it was initially was a bit of a shock. Um, he's the only, well, one of two current players that actually bought their jersey, which is a big deal for me since jerseys are so damn expensive now. Uh, but yeah, in general, love the trade. Halliburton has been amazing. Just got to find some extra pieces to put around him. And I think we're on the right track. Right. So you think it was the right move, though, even though you were a Sabonis fan? Yeah, I think for the franchise to move forward, I think it was the right move. Um, they were always going to get more out of a trade for Sabonis versus Turner, because that was always the debate. Which one of the bigs do you move? Turner still might get traded at this point. It yeah. seems like it's a rumor every offseason or every trade deadline. There's a rumor that he's going to one of five different teams. But yeah, it was it was the right move. Last year was the or kind of the midway point before he injured his foot was the first time I really felt like Miles Turner was going to get traded. Uh, you know, I know he's been shot for years, but, and now I kind of have this lingering feeling that he's not going to make it out of this off season as a pacer, which um, is probably the right move, but I'm, I'm a big miles fan. I haven't bought the Jersey. I haven't bought a Jersey in years, but uh, if I did buy a pacers Jersey, you know, recently other than Halliburton, but prior to that, it would have been miles. He's the longest tenured player on the roster currently. So he's got that built in, like just veteran status with the team. And he gets knocked quite a bit by a certain section of the fans because he's not as tough. He's a seven footer and he doesn't get 11 or 12 rebounds a game, but he does so much defensively and so many other things. That I think you're probably right that he does end up getting moved because he's on the last year of his deal. And if there was ever a time that it's going to happen, it seems like it's now. Yeah. You either bring in, you know, guards that can actually defend on the perimeter, you know, wings that have some length, which we haven't had. Um, sure. Because if you get rid of him and there's no one on the perimeter and no one on the inside, you're just going to have to run and gun and outscore people, which only works to an extent. Uh, I know right. this is a scoring league now, but, you know, only works to an extent. But uh, anyway, we're both happy about Halliburton. And that, you know, that gave us something to root for here in the second half of the season. And um, it also gave us further evidence that even though we collect the same team, our collecting philosophies are very different at times. And we talked about that some during your last appearance. Um, for those of you 
Uh, maybe that didn't catch that. That's episode 122. You might want to go back and listen to that. Steve gives his collecting history and all that stuff. So we're not going to go through that again. But, um, you know, I really wanted a Halliburton card when I was watching him play, right? I wanted something that, hey, you know, I, let me get something nice to this guy because I really enjoy seeing him play. But all the stuff out there was King stuff. So I just couldn't bring myself to do it, even though I was window shopping pretty hard. Now, you, on the other hand, started a new project and we've messaged some about it already. But if you don't mind, give the listeners at home a little insight to what you've been working on and the progress that you've made so far. Okay, so typically, I, over the past few years anyway, I've tried to change my philosophy where I don't, the Pacers typically don't draft great. Mm -hmm. They end up getting good players through trades which inevitably leads me to buying old cards of the players in their former team's jerseys. Um, so I've tried to curb that as much as possible the past few years. Um, not not to interrupt it. you here, but was it Rodney Stuckey that finally broke that? I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was Stuckey. Um, you had a lot I mean, of the Rodney Stuckey stuff. Yeah, and he just disappeared off the face of the earth after the – I think we cut him in the last year or maybe his contract has expired and – I don't think he ever surfaced again in the league mm -mm. for whatever reason. He, I mean, he obviously had his limitations, but seemed like a guy that would at least make a roster at some point. Uh, but yeah, the Halliburton, I couldn't wait. Basically I was just too antsy to pick up stuff of his. Um, so I was trying to find something project wise to do with him. I picked up his prism silver, um, which are all terribly off centered for the most part, like 90% of them that you'll see on eBay or wherever they're terribly centered left or right. So it was hard to find one of those that was decent. Um, and I picked up a couple other cheaper things, but I finally settled on, I tend to collect the blue parallels for Pacers. So in Chronicles, which is just honestly one of the worst products there is just because of how many cards there are. In, for it's, example, Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> really gone downhill, but it does provide a lot of collecting opportunities though. Right. If you can find a silver lining within the product, it's, I think it's something like what I've done. There's a blue parallel where they're all numbered to 99. Uh, the problem with that is that Tyrese Halliburton has 20 different cards <laughs> in the set. Uh, all of them are numbered to 99 except for one, um, which is numbered to 49 for some reason. I'm not sure why. So I've been trying to pick up all 20 of those cards. He's featured in a Kings jersey, but it seemed like something fun to do, and it still matched one of my collecting, uh, like Credo's, the blue parallels. So I've been chasing those. Hasn't been the easiest thing to do. You would think they'd be pretty cheap because it's Chronicles and they're numbered to 99, so they're not incredibly rare. Right. But a lot of it got ripped too. But yeah, so far I've I've got 13 of the 20 in hand. And actually last night I was able to find two more on eBay. So I need five more. It's cards 241, 291, 591, 659, and 704. Oh my goodness, so 700 cards. <laughs> yeah, gives you an idea of how large that set is. But yeah, those are the last five I'm looking for. That's the best that I could come up with for something to do for Halliburton while we wait for more Pacers stuff to come out. Right. Uh, well, I mean, it, it seems like it's probably also a, a relatively cheap chase, um, you know, considering some of his other stuff is is really expensive. Or at least to me, it is. I haven't, I haven't looked at an active rookie for a while just because... We haven't had one worth chasing, 
But, um, you know, going back and it, it's, it's crazy because when he was traded to the Pacers, I think his rookie stuff was still coming out. Right. Or am I, yeah. am I just blending everything together? I think some of it was still coming out. It, or I think it was still, at least it was still being ripped. Right. Because right. It, it, I think flawless had finally come out and you know, all that stuff still being ripped. So we're still seeing his rookie cards being pulled from packs. Meanwhile, he's on a new roster, very confusing situation. Um, you know, everyone else is in that same boat too, though, because we're all collecting in this whole thing together. Um, all right. I'm going to try not to overwhelm the audience with Pacers talk today, but guess what? We're two Pacers collectors. So it's going to come up here, but before we move on to something else, we got to talk about the draft. And um, I've talked about the draft on this show before I had all these unrealistic high hopes. Hey, we're going to, you know, somehow fall into one or two with that 10%. I deep down, I knew that wasn't going to happen, but anyway, you know, you got to hope. So the Pacers are now headed into the draft with the sixth pick, which is not what I was hoping for. I mean, realistically, I thought maybe third or fourth, we could sneak in there. Um, Barring any trades, who do you want the Pacers to pick? And then who do you realistically think will be there at the sixth spot? It might be the same answer. I would really like for somehow Jabari Smith Mm -hmm. to happen, but that's impossible. He's going probably one or two. I think he goes. Yeah, I actually think Orlando might pick him. Although the 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 first three you could swap any of them, but I I do think Orlando is probably going to end up with Smith. Realistically, I think we end up going if we're lucky. Keegan Murray. He seems. I didn't like him initially when Mm -hmm. you know it was announced we were getting the sixth. I didn't dislike him per se, but he just didn't seem very exciting. The knock on him was that he doesn't have the potential. He's got a higher floor, but not as high of a ceiling as some of the other guys, like yeah. Shane Sharp. Uh, but the it more I read like about him, seems like a very conservative Pacers pick, which I hated. Yeah, and that is typically what we do. I mean, we've taken a couple chances recently. Isaiah Jackson trading back into mm-hmm. the first to get him, and that's worked out pretty well. But typically, we go conservative and get NBA ready guys that never really make a difference for us. But Murray, the more I read about him, uh, the more I think that he's got some potential still, and he's very polished. He seems interchangeable position-wise, so he could play two to three different positions. Uh, outside of him, I would like Benedict Maturin from Arizona. I'm an Arizona fan, so I've got a little bit of a bias there, but I think he's got a ton of potential. He's got all the athleticism you could ever ask for from his freshman year to sophomore year. He improved like tremendously. So I think he would be a pretty high potential pick. He may even be gone before six. Yeah, it's so hard to tell with the Kings uh, being in front of us. It's just, you know, yeah. anything could happen with the Kings. I, I mean, I know I, I saw they had worked out Jabari Smith the other day, but, you know, keep dreaming. Uh, yeah. I don't think he's going to be there at four. No, uh, I don't think he's got- going to be there at two, let alone four. They've got as likely a chance of getting Jabari Smith as the Pacers do at six, which yeah. is to say not much. <laughs> So I, I'm at this point, a swing for the fence kind of guy, and that's not my usual approach, but I'm, like I said, I am so tired of this conservative stuff. Um, and we've never had a, a high pick like this. Give me shade and sharp. If he's there, I'll take yeah. him. I know there's some weird stuff going on with Kentucky. I'll take him. He was, he was number one at one point heading into this class. You know, it's been a little while, but give me shade and sharp and let's see, um, you know, let's see what we can do. Yeah, he's probably right there with uh, Maturin for me. The unknown of Shaden Sharp is what scares me a little because with the Pacers' luck, you know, you you swing for the fences and they typically don't hit home runs. Yeah, so. Shaden Sharp goes to the Raptors or the Heat and he's like a, a Hall of Famer. 
Shaden oh, Sharp yeah. goes to the Pacers and he's like, you know, Rodney Stuckey. Um, yeah. All right. So need, with that being said, needless to say, the, the Pacers are going to be pretty busy in June. Um, and we are too, which transitions us to our next talking point here. Um, about a week before the draft is the Midwest Monster Show in Fishers, Indiana, uh, which I'll be flying up for. I, I know people are probably tired of, of hearing me talk about that, but I'm really excited about it. Um, now, you and I have been chatting for, I don't know, seven years now, maybe somewhere in that range. And the episode that we did a year ago was our first time uh, hearing each other's voices, or at least, I guess, my first time hearing yours. Um, right. <laughs> we've not actually met. So that's going to change, though, because we're going to ride together to that show. And we just made a trade a couple nights ago. So we're going to exchange those cards. I'm looking forward to that. And it should be a pretty fun time. But on top of that, and this is something that I, I kind of had overlooked, I think, this is going to be your first card show. And this yeah. is a, a pretty big one to, to go into as your first one. I think it's like 350 tables. So I'm curious to know, you know, what are your feelings or what are your expectations heading into this thing? I'm expecting to be overwhelmed, honestly. I don't know. I'm not planning on placing any expectations on what I come back with or what I'm able to find there. I'm just kind of going for the experience, considering I've never done it before, mm -hmm. which I've talked to a few other buddies on you know, Instagram and explained that I've never been to a card show before. And like, How is that even possible? You're almost 40 and you say you've been collecting since you were five. How have you never been to a card show? I just, I don't know. I never have. There was always a... Um, a stigma to like collecting as a kid and my parents didn't want to spend the money to like take me out to shows and whatnot so it's not like I had that option as a kid and then the older I got I don't know it was never something that I thought much about and now as you know they're becoming more of a thing in the hobby like shows have become kind of a big deal now um, or at least it seemed that way to me so I'm just trying to go into it with low expectations about what I can find or buy or whatever and just experience it. Yeah, I think one of my mistakes um, that I've made, and I've been going to shows consistently for probably six or seven years now, but I, I always feel like, well, I'm going to walk in there and find this rare Pacers card that I've been looking for, you know, and, and it's just going to be awesome. And it's I'm going to unlock hobby secrets that I've never been exposed to before. Um, that's really not the case. And what I've found is a lot of times there, there are even times where I'll go to a show and I, I won't buy much of anything because I know, hey, instead of just buying something because I feel obligated to, I could go back on eBay and buy something I'm, I'm a lot more satisfied with. That's been a bit of a struggle for me recently is I've saved up a little bit of a nest egg to take to the show. We had talked about it a little while back and I think I came up with, I want to take 500 bucks or so to the show. Mm -hmm. Just in case, you know, something bigger pops up or you know, find some smaller things. Well, I did that, just selling off a few things. And now all of this like awesome stuff that I need keeps popping up on eBay. So I've got to build back up my nest egg before. Is it June 17th? I June think? 17th. Yeah. Yeah. Got some work to do. <laughs> well, with you know, and, and this goes with in person or on eBay, it's the time to buy something rare is when you see it. Right. Um, you know, obviously I don't want to tell people that and then they go overspend, but if, if the price is reasonable, the time to buy something's when you see it. That's what I found. That's at least my philosophy to, you know, purchasing cards that gets tough though. Like you said, you're, you're trying to prepare for this show. You want it. You have to have money just in case you see something, right. even in, and then also expect that you're not going to, it's a really weird situation to be in. Um, but I'm excited for you. I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I'm going to, you know, I've been saving up some money. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of things on eBay that I want to buy. 
Um, so it's trying to find the balance between the two. You mentioned the whole money side of things. Are you bringing some cards as well, maybe? I've thought about it. Uh, I think the only thing that I might bring is probably I've got uh, 0304 LeBron Chrome Rookie BGS9. So I might bring that and see if I can move it for cash at the show um, because there is a pretty large Danny Granger card on eBay right now. It's just been sitting there. There and, is a nice one too. I've, I've yeah. looked at it a few times. So I'm hoping to maybe sell that one at the show. Uh, I've been holding on to it thinking, you know, it's going to explode back up, but I think it's pretty well leveled off at this point. And I don't really care about LeBron that much. So it's yeah. a cool card to have, but I would prefer to have the, the Granger. I won't go into any further details about what the card is, but <laughs> right. yeah. I'm sure people can there. find it if they want to. Um, yeah. The thing also, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to give people advice about when to sell LeBron or whatever, but um, just with some liquid cards in general, you know, sometimes it's okay to weed some of that stuff out. I wouldn't sell stuff that you, you know, you think you're never going to see again, but right. uh, sometimes going to a show is good because it then forces you to prioritize as if you had found something and you can free some stuff up um, and put yourself in a good position to move forward. So uh, I'm excited for you. Um, the good thing is I'll be there with you too. It's always nice to have a second set of eyes at a show uh, or someone you can bounce some ideas off of if needed. And similarly, I want to lean on you for your experience a little bit here, because one of the things that I want to do while I'm in Indiana is go to my first WNBA game. And it looks like Candace Parker and the Chicago Sky will be in town when I'm there. They're also playing at the old fairgrounds where the Pacers played their ABA games. I've never seen a game there, so I'm excited to go. I've only gotten into the WNBA the last year or two, so I'm still learning. But I know you took your family to a fever game sometime in the last month. What was that experience like? And then um, what can I expect if I end up going? Yeah, so I'm kind of the same uh, pace of getting into the WNBA as you are. The fever have been very bad for a few years. <laughs> like one of the worst teams in the league, if not the worst. So not much to cheer for. But they're going through a very similar rebuilding process as the Pacers right now. seems like they're on kind of the same trajectory. The Fever just drafted. They have five rookies on the team this year. Four of them were drafted in the first 10 picks or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of crazy. So I'm still learning about them myself. But yeah, I took my family on Mother's Day. And I've got two little boys. I've got an almost five-year-old, Louie, and my youngest son, Malcolm. He's a year and a half. So he was a little hard to wrangle at the game basically just feeding them snacks the whole time. But the general atmosphere is very family friendly. It seems more so at the Fever games versus the Pacers games because it's a smaller crowd, I think. Um, so it's easier to maneuver about with the family. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a lot, lot less crowded, to say the least. There might have been a thousand people there total. But yeah, it's a very family friendly atmosphere. They make it a point to come up into the stands with Freddie Fever and the I don't know what you would call them. The Pacers call them the power pack, I believe, where they mm -hmm. come up into the stands and hand out little toys and stuffed animals and whatnot like that. So honestly, it's a really fun time. I don't know. The game I went to was at the Fieldhouse. The one that you're going to is at the Coliseum. So I don't know how different it'll be, but I would assume it's probably, they set it up pretty similar. I, I would guess you have a good time. You say you're taking, uh, I believe you said your nephew. Yeah, my nephew's five. So I think it'll be, you know, WNBA games are a little shorter. Like you said, it'll be less crowded, obviously get some food, you know, try and make it a fun experience for him. But I think it would be, that would probably be better than trying to take him to a Pacers game right now. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. I've taken my oldest son, Louie, to a Pacers game when he was probably 
two and a half. He was okay at the start, but it, you know, the Pacers game start later. So it was like close to bedtime and it ended quickly. We, I don't think we made it through the first half of the game. Uh, yeah. But the fever game, um, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, which is a lot more conducive to having kids not be sleepy monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was good to see the fever be competitive. They lost that game, but they, they played the Los Angeles Sparks with Liz Cambage and, you know, their stars and they were competitive. They've got a lot of energy They're, I think right now their identity is becoming they're a hustle team because they are younger. They don't maybe don't have the egos or whatever that, you know, some of the more veteran teams have. They're just out there being scrappy, which is fun to root for. They're still not winning a ton of games, but they're no. more fun to watch than they would. They're just, just like the Pacers. Yeah, yeah, just had a coaching change, too. So we'll see how that all turns out. All right. Well, nothing solidified yet, but I hope everything works out and I can add that to my itinerary. Okay. Uh, Before we move into our next talking point, I want to remind listeners that this show is brought to you in part by the website, check out my cards or ComC for short. ComC continues to offer 50% off processing fees for all newly released trading card consignments with their ComC Fresh Pulls program. To qualify, cards must be received within 90 days of the hobby release date and submitted using the Elite, Select, or Mailbox Processing Service level. For more information, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. Steve, um, I know we've talked about your Halliburton Blue Project already. I don't know if you got any of those specifically off of ComC, but I know there are plenty of other blue cards that you've gotten from there. What would you say your experience with ComC has been like? It's fun. Typically, the players and the team that I go for, a lot of their stuff can be had on ComC for pretty reasonable to cheap prices. Speaking of blue cards, I found a Victor Oladipo uh, 1819 Optic Blue Prism, number to 49, which was one of the last cards I needed for that team set. I got it for $299, so it's pretty happy with that. I was hoping one of those showed up because... I had one, and mm-hmm. I, if if I absolutely if none showed up, it was going to come your way. But uh, was was really hoping another one showed up prior to that. Yeah, I was pretty happy to see it too for three dollars. I mean, you can't beat that. But in general, it's a great asset to the hobby um, for a variety of reasons. Okay, as we start to wrap things up here, I want to talk a little bit about recent mail, which coincidentally is a blue Pacers card for me. Um, and it's directly related to our previous conversation. Um, we'll save that one for the end, though. Aside from the Halliburton Blues, what are some things that you've been looking for lately, and what's shown up in your mailbox in the past week or two? Recently, I found what I would consider a pretty large steal. Um, there's a seller that listed a lot of vintage basketball and baseball cards, all graded PSA, and all of the other listings were listed pretty well. Titles were good. The listing that I found was for a lot of five Pacers rookies from the 71-72 tops set. Bob Nedelicki, Mel Daniels, Freddie Lewis, Rick Mount, and Roger Brown. And they were all PSA 7s, except for the Freddie Lewis, which was an 8. But the listing didn't mention the grades in a clear way. It just basically said Pacers a lot. And it had the last names of the players but not the first names. And it didn't say anything about PSA in the listing. So they had a starting bid of $100. I was hoping no one else would see it basically because $100 for those is pretty decent price just for the grading alone. Yeah. Uh, So it came down to the wire. I was standing in my kitchen, just like watching the seconds tick down. 
and explaining to my wife why it was cool. She's like, okay, honey. It's a futile exercise that we've all <laughs> tried one too many times, I think. Yeah. So she pretended to be excited for me when the final seconds ticked away and I got it for the opening bid of a hundred bucks. So that's something that I've gotten recently. So I can finally live up to my name, Vintage Pacers. Vintage Pacers, right. Well, and, you know, two of those guys, the Roger Brown and Mel Daniels, once they made the Hall of Fame, those prices shot up because, you know, let's face it, outside of set collectors and Pacers collectors, they weren't really sought after. But then you had a new, you know, kind of group of collectors coming in because you got Hall of Fame rookie collectors. Um, Mm -hmm. And all of those are rookies, like you said, because 71 was the first year to feature ABA guys. So all of them Mm -hmm. are rookies. Um, so just those two alone, I would think would be worth over a hundred bucks. And then to get the others on top of that is awesome. Yeah. Cause I already had Billy Keller as a PSA seven. He's also in that set. So I'm two players shy of having the full team set from 71, 72 in at least PSA seven grade. I need Warren Armstrong and Don Seidel, the legends. Um, Other than that, I also upgraded, if you want to say, the uh, Alex English. I think it's 79 tops rookie. He was briefly with the Pacers and then, of course, got traded and became a Hall of Famer. I got that in a PSA 7 just for the continuity of adding it to the others and got it super cheap. I ended up selling my uh, CSG 7.5 for more than I paid for the PSA 7. So that was nice. Uh, just recoup some of the money. You got a nice Miles Turner lot in too recently, didn't you? Yeah. Seller was actually from Indiana, uh, Mooresville. He listed some, they're not high-end cards, uh, but they're National Treasures uh, 2016-17, which is Turner's second year. Gold base, numbered to 10. Then an absolute base, numbered to 10. And the main thing I was looking for was he had a 16-17 optic white sparkle, which is one of the team sets that I'm doing. Uh, it was the first year they did white sparkle, which is, to me, probably the best-looking parallel other than maybe a gold um, that Penny does routinely. Some people don't like them. I think white sparkles are gorgeous in person. So I mm-hmm. essentially tried to do every optic or uh, prism white sparkle set that there is for the basers. I like the white sparkles because they're they're rare. They look good um, and not too expensive, at least for the guys that we're chasing. Yeah. Yeah. Pacer stuff tends to be pretty reasonable. Unfortunately, Paul George is not that reasonably priced for the most part. So his will cost me a little bit. But in general, Pacer stuff's pretty easy to find at a reasonable price. Okay. So um, I really only have one card that I want to talk about here. I didn't get a lot of mail in this week, but um, it's a big one. Well, I it's not big monetarily, but it is a big one that we've both been looking for. If you don't believe me, go back to the 37-minute mark of episode 122. I think we talked about this card for several minutes here. So um, that's part of the, one of the reasons why I had to have you back on is, you know, hey, let's commemorate this occasion here. Um, you and I were both trying to complete the 2013 Prism Blue set for the Pacers, which is just eight cards. There's no big rookies. In this case, the Paul George is pretty affordable. I mean, even at its peak, it was probably a $30 or $40 card, and it's since dropped. Um, you know, there's probably between 300 and 400 copies of each player. So it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but for whatever reason, the George Hill has been hard to track down. Burbank had a copy of it, you know, several years ago for $7. Both of us were too stubborn to pay that. And, um, I think we assumed another cheap copy would show up on Com C and it never did. And then the Burbank copy disappeared. So it was gone. Steve, do you have any theories why this card never shows up? The only thing that makes sense is that people don't care to list it for sale because it's for everyone else in the world. It's a meaningless card. There are three people that I know of that would want it. And now you've got one. So it's down to two. 
Uh, but yeah, the Burbank copy was listed forever for $7 and 20 cents. I remember right. <laughs> And like you said, we were both too stubborn to pull the trigger on it. I had it in my cart several times and was just depend- waiting to combine shipping with, you know, handful of other cards from Burbank. And by the time I got around to it, I clicked in my save for later section. And when I clicked on the link for it, it was gone. So the listing has ended. So yeah, I've never seen another copy since other than a picture from ComC from years ago or something. Yeah. And I thought, you know, with the eBay standard envelope program that we might see a couple of these show up because really that program has been awesome. Um, at least for non-relic cards for shiny stuff under 20 bucks. It's great. I, you know, I'm more likely to buy more of this little stuff on eBay now, um, knowing that that option's there. And, you know, I understand the risk of sending it that way. And, and I'm fine with that. You know, if I lose a card or two here and there, that's, it's not the end of the world, but you know, you and I both put out posts trying to find this card with no success, uh, until now, a few weeks ago, a collector named Michael, also known as at Mavs collector on Instagram. He reached out to me with a picture of the Hill. Um, I almost dropped my phone, did a double take. And he said, you know, something to the effect of, hey, weren't you looking for this card? And I have a copy that's a little scratched up, but you can have it free of charge. Like he was apologetic that it was scratched up. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> you, you are doing me a, a huge uh, favor here. Um, so of course I said, yes, you know, I'll take it. Condition doesn't bother me at all. So not only, you know, he sent me that, but then he also sent me a, a nice little stack of Pacer stuff and, and run our test odds and ends. So uh, Michael, I know I thanked you privately already, but I want to thank you again because felt good to slide that into that last spot of that binder page, um, which I think I've got a video of that on my YouTube. If anyone wants to see that, I say all this not to brag. I didn't bring you on to brag and say, hey, I, you know, I got one. Um, Rub it in my face. Right. I know we were both looking for this card. I want to bring awareness to it again and try and track down another copy so you can finish your set as well. So if you guys are listening and you know where one's at, it's a 2013 Prism George Hill, a Prism Blue. So it's the blue version. It was a Walmart exclusive, um, but they're not numbered. There's probably like three or 400 of them. So if you know where one's at, even if it's not for sale right now, if you know where one's at, let's. that's the first step. Let's locate one. Please, please, please let uh, either myself or let Steve know, and I'll get the message to him if you contact me. Um, all right. Well, that that success, or at least success, and then the um, the anticipation of a future success, I think is a good place for us to leave off here today. I've enjoyed talking with you as always, Steve, and I'll be seeing you in person soon. Like I said, we got to swap those cards. We're going to um, take you through your first card show, and we might have to hear back from you after that. Um, before I let you go, feel free to plug anything you're working on or anything you're looking for aside from the George Hill and uh, go ahead and give us your social media handles in the process. The next few gotcha. moments are yours. All right. So I do most of my hobby stuff on Instagram. It's at vintage pacers, no spaces, no underscores, anything. As far as what I'm working on, mainly just that Tyrese Halliburton blue project, obviously with the George Hill blue as well. But yeah, it's cards number 241, which is the marquee parallel, 291, which is the XR. 591, which is Panini Honors, 659, which is the Rookies and Stars, and 704, which is totally certified. Um, Those are the five that I still need. Um, If you've got them, contact me. I'd be happy to work something out with you. But yeah, that's about the only thing I'm working on currently that I need to plug. Other than that, shout out my wife. All right. Yes. Thank you to Mrs. Vintage Pacers for allowing this to happen today. I know you got two young ones there at the house. So uh, it's not always easy to jump on. So 
Uh, thanks to her and thanks to you once again. No problem. Thanks, man. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Steve for taking time out of his schedule to come on the show. And thanks to you guys for letting us slip some Pacers talk in there as well. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.